And so I quit engineering. I sacrificed my relationship with my dad, which was necessary. But oh my God, I just loved the the route I was on. Uh, and the wholesale clothing, retail clothing, uh, you know, pop-up events, uh, entertainment company, like five or six businesses later, 20 million in revenue. It was just <clears throat> in the game of entrepreneurship and loved it. Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast with business strategist, speaker, and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights, and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Hey, Gavin here. Welcome back to the Business Mastermind podcast. Uh, today, I'm talking with Sunil Godse. He's the founder and CEO of Intuitionology. He has a podcast of the same name, Intuitionology. Um, he's an author, uh, prolific um, in the content he shares. And you know, one of the things that really sort of grabbed um, my attention when uh, Sunil and his team contacted me about coming on the show was that there's this sort of opening sort of sentence, that brilliant job to grab attention after making a series of bad decisions with one leading to a friend um, being shot and killed, Sunil Godse uh, spends thousands of hours on research and interviews to stop people from wasting time making bad decisions and by sharpening their intuition. Sunil, welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast. Thank you very much. Looking forward to talking about intuition and its intersection with business and how it is so, so important. Yeah, and, and, and I wanted to sort of set the frame around that. This is around how we can apply this skill set, uh, this innate ability that we have, how we can hone it up. Uh, not that we can become all, you know, uh, sort of disappear um, and, and trug, hit, uh, hug trees. This is about how we can use this to inform our decision making and to make us a more effective business owner, a more effective deal maker, um, and, a, and a, more, a more effective in all aspects of our life. So, Share the story because it's obviously quite um, a powerful story, but in, an, a sad story as well that set you off down a path of wanting to learn and understand more about how intuition has a part to play in decision making. Absolutely. And, and interestingly enough, uh, the, the theme of your podcast series is very apt because the genesis of why I wanted to study intuition really came from business executives and entrepreneurs. And when I wrote my first book, Fail Fast, Succeed Faster, uh, it, you know, there was a collection. The idea, the premise of that book was if you can look at the failures or hurdles of what other people have gone through in business, then if you if you heard about them, then you're not going to repeat them as long as you know you, you take the time to not make those mistakes and so you should be able to succeed faster and so close to 300 interviews with business executives and uh, and uh, entrepreneurs 75 stories in the book and and every time I went out uh, to talk about this book on stages um, around the world the one question I kept getting from entrepreneurs is okay Sunil tell me the one thing that I can do that uh, that that can make me succeed. And, you know, at that time, I say, oh, my God, like I put so much time. It was like a full year of doing interviews and writing these things, like kind of rolled my eyes. said, well, this whole reason why there's 400 pages in this book uh, is that there's really not one thing until I went back to the audio recordings. And when oh, I went really? back to the audio recordings, 80 to 90% of the executives or entrepreneurs use some form of, I knew what decision I should have taken, but I didn't. Uh, I tr should have trusted my intuition. I started trying to, I should have trusted my gut and something around those lines. And it was just, it was like, Oh my God, like, you'd missed that first time around. 
I did because I wasn't specifically thinking, okay, how can I coalesce these things? I had a different yeah. framework yeah, as yeah. to what I thought, um, you know, you needed. And it, and, and it was really like, okay, let's cast this wide because there's so many mistakes we can make. Um, and that was the premise. I never looked at coalescing around sort of one, uh, one sort of concept until now. Uh, and so that got me intrigued to say, okay, wow, what is this thing called intuition? And so when I reflected back, I remember, okay, when did intuition uh, kind of hit me? Now that I kind of have a concept of what it was, I think. Um, so I remember at five years old, there was these video games that my dad didn't want, uh, that dad didn't want to buy me because they're too expensive. And so I distinctly remember at five years old, this voice telling me, go door to door to raise money. And I went door to door. I raised $200 as this five-year-old kid, lots of milk and cookies, and $100 went to my dad and the other $100 went to charity. Uh, that made me feel really, really good. And let, uh, I didn't even know at that time, but that was sort of the seeds of entrepreneurship. Uh, sure. Really starting young. Um, yeah. And and I, I noticed those breadcrumbs of entrepreneurship uh, all along my life. It was just very apparent whether I got involved in bake sales or did something salesy or made uh, you know nice signs to attract people. And we could put nice business language around it or entrepreneurship language around it. But the essence, the, the essence of the skills that I had were entrepreneurial in nature. Um, and so what happened was there were times when I didn't ignore my intuition. And one of them was to toss, a, toss the breadcrumbs aside and follow the South Asian route. So those people watching aren't even listening. I, you know, I'm a South Asian male, firstborn son. And there's four doors of a career that we can typically take that follows the rules of sort of East Indianness, which is doctor, lawyer, engineer, or failure. Um, and so uh, my dad was, a, was an engineer. Uh, I, I, then I said, okay, um, let's become an engineer, even though I intuitively knew this was not for me. I just, I just knew at that moment, but I felt compelled to become an, uh, an engineer and I hated it. Um, you know, two years in that three-year stint, I got an opportunity to become a private investor with a Mexican restaurant chain that was coming up. Uh, and I said, absolutely. And I took advantage of it. And pretty soon within a year, I was making five times more in dividends from that rec restaurant chain than I was as a full-time engineer. And my intuition was getting louder and louder. I was just saying, you gotta, you gotta let go. And so I quit engineering. I sacrificed my relationship with my dad, which was necessary. But oh my God, I just loved the the route I was on. Uh, and the wholesale clothing, retail clothing, uh, you know, pop-up events, uh, entertainment company, like five or six businesses later, 20 million in revenue. It was just <clears throat> in the game of entrepreneurship and loved it. Uh, and then ended up becoming a management consultant. Um, and that was where I had a second opportunity where I had a huge contract in Silicon Valley but the contract terms kept changing. And again, there's this something that was nudging me, don't take it. Uh, but the money was so big and I was so emotionally connected to that money that nothing mattered. And I went down there, spent every single penny to move from Canada to Silicon Valley uh, and they never paid me. Uh, and I oh, came wow. back. Yeah, I, I came back, I got stiffed. Uh, I had, and uh, I remember driving across the Canadian border, US-Canadian border back up to Canada, mm -hmm. 23 cents in my bank account. I think I generally say 25 cents, but it was actually 23. Wow. And I was about to be married. My wife was in India um, and uh, luckily she was there. That's where I met her. She's phoning me saying, how are things going, honey? And I said, oh, really good. Uh, you know, I'm just coming back to Calgary, Canada to uh, you know settle back. And meanwhile, I don't even know where I'm gonna be sleeping that night. Um, and so uh, that was uh, that was certainly uh, devastating, but the 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 most devastating one is the one that you alluded to earlier. And when I was in engineering, I was doing some personal coaching at the time, and there was a friend of mine who was being stalked, uh, and she absolutely needed desperate advice uh, to try and 
find out how to get rid of this guy. And so she, she rang me up and, and there was, again, something was saying, meet with her this, that afternoon. There's something really urgent about her request. Uh, and I didn't, I said, let's, let, why don't we just meet a couple of days later? Um, and the very next day, that same fellow uh, walked up to her in uh, to, to, to a bus shelter and put a bullet through her head uh, oh and God. killed her instantly. And oh. so I'm now thinking, okay, I really need to figure this thing called intuition out because this has really affected my life. And what I, what I couldn't find is that like, okay, why was there no definition? Like I looked online, a lot of things were, uh, you know, meditation, spiritual in nature, voices sure. from God. And that's fine. If you think that that's what def your definition is, uh, who am I to say that that's not, that shouldn't be the definition. I wanted to rally around a definition that made sense to me. Uh, yes, and so, I, I, yeah. And so I, that didn't resonate with me. It went on to online dictionaries that kind of described it, which is great, but it just really didn't hit home for me. So I looked at, okay. <clears throat> How did I see intuition? And I, if, so if we go back to my engineering days, uh, you know, if you look at steel, for example, steel has both mass-like properties and wave-like properties, kind of like art and science. And so it, I really was drawn to that analogy. So the art part for me was this, okay, there's these feelings that I get, right? So, okay, I've got that. But what about the science? Uh, and uh, and I went and, and, and interviewed a, a neurologist and I, I went to him because I knew him and say, okay, does intuition kind of exist? Uh, and I turn on the camera. He says, it absolutely does. And then he goes on to, to talk about from a scientific explanation, uh, how he uses it with his patients. And now he's saying research more and more in neuroscience research is showing that it acts even earlier than we consciously think that it does. And so I'm thinking, wow, okay. So, okay, now there's some research. So where is it? So I went into an academic database, typed in the word intuition, and boom, I was blown away. Tens of thousands of articles on intuition, really? not just on the personal side, but on entrepreneurship and business and marketing, sales, uh, leadership positions, HR. I mean, the whole gamut of business. There's just one article after another after another on how intuition really affects the decisions that have the outcomes that we're kind of looking for. And so it was really apparent that there was just so much research. And one of the pieces of research was that your intuition hits the amygdala. The amygdala is the primitive part of the brain. And because it's the primitive part of the brain, there's no language associated with it. And so no wonder I couldn't find a definition. Um, the definition had to be mine. So I know what it feels like. And Simon Sinek actually talks about feel this, this thing called intuition where you feel like something uh, is right or something isn't. And that's exactly what it was. When you get into the primitive part of the brain, it's like feel, trust. That's sure, it. Sure, and, sure. Then, and then we put our own language. And that's why everybody was describing it very differently. And so I just had to figure out a definition that was right for me. And then some more research came out saying that infants as young as two months old have shown to have intuitive capabilities. So there was a premise that, I, well, if I heard it at five years old, then I must be born with it. There was some correlation there. Uh, and then what, uh, what the neurologist was saying that it was coming, you know, even before it was really kind of conscious, research at that time said that intuition uh, hit you seven to 10 seconds before you actually took an action or made a decision. And when it came to entrepreneurship, they measured the skin conductance uh, and heart rate of entrepreneurs, and they found that intuition hit them on average seven to 10 seconds before they made a business decision. So now I've got all wow. these pieces of, of, of actual research with brain scans, MRIs, and outcomes that, that are 
in the literature that have been written and, and experiments done on. So that, I said, okay, now I've got the science part. So I've got the art and the science. And so I really had to figure out, okay, now let's look at this. So I've got the science. Let's look at the, let's look at the art part. So there's these things called signals. Uh, and so what I've discovered after doing over a thousand interviews is that there's a set of positive signals and negative signals. So your positive signals are things that are, you feel like a flow or it felt right. Uh, or the dots connecting. And in one particular case, there was a CEO uh, and he used to be CEO of a, a company called shop.ca. Now he's with Indochino. And when I interviewed him, he, whatever he was doing, uh, when, when he, he kept seeing this omen that popped up, he, there was no shape, no color, uh, but it was just sort of this, this, this thing that he calls an omen that popped up on his, behind his right shoulder. And whatever he was doing, that was always a positive sign. So if we, whether he was hiring someone, uh, becoming a partner with the company, finding a vendor, whatever it is from the business side, once he sees this omen pop up, he stops talking and he says yes to whatever is in front of him. Um, and so that's how unique positive signals can get from each one of us. Then there's the negative signals that are kind of like an uncomfortable feeling. Uh, if, so for me, it's a gut feeling or the hairs in the back of my neck standing up. Uh, and the, the thing with negative signals is that they're really kind of a warning that you're making the wrong decision. Yeah, and they yeah. start very, very subtle in nature. And it's that when this is where we really miss these signals is because it's like a, almost a whisper, like Oprah Winfrey calls it a whisper, but they're really that subtle, like, like something off here, but we tend to dismiss those. And what happens is when we dismiss those subtle signals, they start to get louder and louder. And so sometimes they change until they, they tap you on the shoulder and say, listen, I've told you that uh, things that, you know, you should have listened to me. And where these signals really came uh, from a business perspective, I mean, there's there's a whole bunch. I mean, as Steve Jobs talks about it, uh, Jeff Bezos, Sarah Blakely, Richard Bram, you can go on and on. And I've actually got a video uh, uh, collection on my on my Intuition on you website that shows all these influencers, these big business icons that talk specifically about intuition. Um but there, when it came to, we were talking earlier before we turned hit the record button, that there were a, a couple of colleagues, a few colleagues of mine who actually were in deals that were about to, to sign on or get bought out or merge. Uh, and it came down to what did it feel like? You know, what they sensed what the, the other people were like. They, they on paper looked fantastic. And but something was off, and and for those in touch with their intuition, they kind of moved away from it. And there there were a couple of them that actually did go through with it because on paper it looked good. And sure enough, enterprise value went down. The culture became caustic. Uh, the other company threw, uh, you know, just basically demolished uh, the other company uh, in in terms of the employees' morale. Um, and and it's, it just went south. And the thing, funny thing is. The, the people that made the decision knew it before they actually put it on paper. They sensed that this was what, this what was, what was going to happen yet. They allowed it to happen because it looked good or the data supported it, or there was a nice business case, but they didn't take sure. into the account this intangible thing called intuition. And in one case, I had this entrepreneur that didn't know what his signals were. And he says, yes, Neil, I'm not sure if I, if I get signals. And, he's, and he said, well, uh, when uh, let's talk about your failures then. And so as we're talking about the failures of the ventures he went into for the wrong reasons, he kept grabbing his left earlobe and oh, really? time and, yeah, time and time wasn't again, aware of it. He just didn't know until we started talking about it formally. And then, and then he just like 10 minutes later, he says, Sunil, I think I just realized what my intuitive signals are. And when he reflects back to the time that he got into those ventures, he figures there's something wrong with me. Like my left earlobe gets getting hot. Every time he talked to his wife, 
uh, about those deals. His left earlobe kept, kept getting hot, but he never tied it to, now I'm formally calling it as something called intuitive signals. And the other thing I realized, now we've got the signals. The other thing I realized that intuition is actually much more complex than we think. And there's actually four types of intuition that come in. And the perfect example that I can take you through a case study is actually from a non-believer. One of my first interviewees was John Rothschild. This guy was an investment banker, very successful one. Uh, and so for him, he says, look, Sunil, I, I really don't believe in this intuition because this is a guy data uh, you know, Excel spreadsheets, uh, you running for your simulations, that was life to him. Everything was about that. And so when you, when, when you start, you know, scratching online and talking about meditation and voices from God, this is really not going to sit well with him. And so <laughs> he, so he's thinking, yeah, you know, Sunil, I'll give you the hour because we haven't seen each other in a long time. Uh, we'll talk about intuition for five minutes. That's enough to kind of finish the coffee and then you know, we'll catch up, right? We'll just catch up. I haven't seen you in a while. So uh, I turn on the camera, very clear. I'm telling him about the CEO and the saw, saw omens and stuff. And he goes, yes, and, you know, I just, I, I wish I could shake that guy's hand. Um, yeah, you know, intuition, yeah, it just doesn't, it's, it's, it's all about this, it's experience and data. And then I said, okay, well, John, uh, now we're getting to the four, one of four types of intuition. One of the four types is called experiential intuition. And what it does is when you're born, you have all these experiences around you. And what it does is it puts all those experiences and plucks what's relevant to you in the subconscious area of your brain. And your brain is kind of like a, an iceberg. The subconscious is the 90%, the conscious is 10. And so it's constantly putting these experiences like a library into your brain. And so over time, you have this rich data and experience that you've accumulated. So when it comes to making a decision in a split second, it's going to go into this library to pull out the relevant pieces of learning, both formal and informal, both good and bad, both yours and others, back into, into the decision. So it's already balanced and informed as to what the logic part of your decision is. And, the, and it balances it with the, 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 the emotion that you need to control so you don't get too excited. And once you have that data and logic really balanced, now you can move ahead with the decision. And so intuitions already figured that learning experience data in. And in some cases, you go against the data. And John says, oh, well, that's interesting. I have, an, I have an example for you. And so now we're getting to the second of the four called situational intuition. This is where John and uh, so they were in the business of running franchise restaurants. And okay. so a franchise location on a benchmarking system was a nine out of 10. Nine, they look at traffic patterns, development in that area, yeah, demographic information, et cetera. And all these factors made a, a, on a 10 point scale, a nine out of 10 means you opened up a McDonald's or uh, you know any kind of franchise. Sure. Um, he walked into this dilapidated area of, of Toronto with his partner, and it was a five and a half out of 10 by all the metrics they, they that his team had prepared. And he just looks around and says, I don't know, something tells me that we should actually put in a location here. Again, that something came up. And so, and he's saying, I'm not sure if it's intuition or not, but something told me. So now he's kind of using that language. It's almost convincing himself yep. that I think it may be intuition. And so they opened it up. Uh, they put a location there. The team was super mad at them. That ended up being one of the best franchise brands really? under their portfolio called the Beer Market. Uh, it was the most profitable out of all of them. Um, and so now he's starting to get convinced. And so, and he continues to talk about, we talk about the team, how intuition helps picking a team members uh, and, and how he advises people now, his students that he talks to. And so now he's starting to, it's his experiences 
his his stories, uh, his signals, uh, right? So his definition. We're coming back to finding that definition of why you think intuition exists from his perspective. And now he's slowly starting to get convinced. And the, the, there's, then there's the third of the four is called creative intuition. Creative intuition is ultimately responsible for the, the data, the decision that you have to have. So there was, there was a, a, a one decision I asked him. I said, so John, sometimes what intuition allows you to do is do something that's so crazy that people think you're nuts. And he says, oh, yeah, I've got a situation for you. So this is a guy, again, three to four million dollars a year as an investment banker. And uh, so, uh, you know, high end uh, uh, private jets, high end uh, restaurants, limousines, the whole nine yards. And he says, but there's something telling me that I need to be a coach. I, I don't want to be on the sidelines of businesses. I actually want to run one. And so one would think that this guy would pick something with, you know, great cash flows, good revenue, run rate, uh, you know, pick a business that's already, you know, on its legs uh, and the financial is good, healthy balance sheet. No, he picks a tiny bankrupt little restaurant. That's Man. what his intuition wanted him to run. Wow. And so now we're getting to the fourth of the four called relational intuition. Relational intuition only selects those people who you really need to surround yourself with, who truly are around you for your purpose, what you're really meant to do, what you really want. Not yes people. These are people that will give you constructive criticism. And if there's one or two out of the thousands you meet, fantastic. It's one or two. It's not a numbers game. It's a quality game. And everybody around him that was into the ego, into the money, into the lifestyle, into the security, all said, you're nuts. The one person that understood his purpose was his wife. And now we're talking about an intuitive signal. Now I'm going to quote John. He looked at his wife straight in her eyes and said, this just feels right. Yeah, yeah. There's your intuitive signal. Yeah, yeah. And he did. He quit. Walked into that tiny bankrupt little restaurant. That bankrupt little restaurant ended up being Eastside Mario's location number one. He grew that to over a thousand locations under different brand names, including the beer market. Over 20 years, $2 billion in revenues, no all way. because of an intuitive decision. Wow. That's how intuition works from a non-believer into a believer in one hour. And it's really about his experiences, his signals, his story how it affected his decisions, how he ignored it. When you put it in that perspective, when people think about intuition from that perspective, this is how I'm educating them. Uh, I'm just shining a light on this thing, which is your phenomenon that you're born with. Then you really understand how it works. All you got to do is trust it. And that's where our problem is. So let's just go back to signals then. So how can somebody yeah. listening to this think, well, I kind of, I, I, I know I get it. I understand that there's possibly been times in my life when I have ignored it or I paid attention to it and know how things are panned out, but I want to hone up. I want to sort of polish up my um, awareness of my signals. So how would they do that? So the easiest thing to do is look back at all the decisions that they've made. And the first thing they need to do is, do is start with the negative ones. The negative ones, and this process is very, very, very important. And I actually have a seven-day challenge that takes them through a process on my website. And it's very important because uh, the way that it reveals itself in terms of signals will really help sort of make your decision. Seven-day challenge, you actually sign up. You, you, you figure out a problem using this process. So first thing is you go back and you take a look at what didn't happen. What were the bad decisions that you made? And you really need to think back and say, what did it feel at the moment? And so those are the signals that you need to pay attention to. What you need to do, though, is think about, okay, was there a decision before that that I ignored? 
because remember your, your intuitive negative intuitive signals start getting louder and louder. So yeah. you look at a bad decision and think back to, was there a, was there a chain of decisions that I made? Yeah. Because let's say you call it a voice. Um, and so, yeah, okay. I, I went through that, that bad deal. I remember there was this voice telling me that, um, you know, I shouldn't have uh, gone with that vendor and they stiffed me with a line of credit or something like that. Um, and so that, that could have been a voice, but how do you know that that was signal number one? Maybe that was signal number three. If that was signal number three, that means that you missed two signals. That means that you made two bad decisions. Yeah. If you made two bad decisions, perhaps that bad decision is a bad hire uh, that you knew you shouldn't have hired, or that could be uh, you're on your way to bankruptcy. I mean, you don't know the veracity of what happened because you've ignored those signals. So you really have to take, take a, a stock of the negative signals first. Then you take a look at the positive signals. And what happens when you think about the positive signals, again, take your inventory. And so what are they? And spend the time to, to, to figure out what they are. Um, and so whenever, now you've got this, uh, this inventory of positive and negative signals. Now, whatever time you make a decision, you know that there's a signal that's going to come up. And if you don't, and you made a bad decision, then you haven't done your work because now you've discovered a signal that you should have known. And so, it, so it, it's really taking that time to spend the time to take, uh, find out what your signals are. And one of the common things that I hear is that, well, sometimes intuition leads you down the wrong path to teach you a lesson. Well, yes. I mean, intuition does learn from those failures. Uh, but remember a couple of things to that. One is it hits the amygdala. The amygdala is fight or flight. That's, it's very simple. So there's no chance from a, that perspective that it's going to you know, say, listen, I'm going to teach you a lesson uh, because there's really no logic attached to it. So it's just like, how are you going to react in that situation? It's either on or off, right? So it's binary. So what happens is when I listen to some of the stories from those people who tell me that they've been down the wrong road, I try and listen very intently on, on how that story unfolded. And an excellent example, I had Mark Metry. He has the Humans 2.0 podcast series, top 100 on iTunes. So he developed social anxiety in high school. This guy was making five figures in high school, yet felt the need to continue to lie again and again and again to fit in. And he continued to lose his identity and eventually he wanted to take his life. And so when we started talking about intuition, he said, sometimes intuition takes you down that wrong road. Uh, and, and he starts, then starts telling the stories. And I said, well, Mark, hold on. If we rewind the podcast interview and we go back to the moment that you started to talk, tell the story, and I was listening very intently, you started saying, I knew I shouldn't have lied, but yep. when you said that, that was your intuition telling you. What you did afterwards was something called ego. That's one of the four intuitive hurdles. You needed to fit in and you need to fit in so much that you lost your identity. And when you lost your identity, you couldn't deal with it because of social anxiety. And the only way you knew, even though intuition was screaming at you to stop, you almost took your life. Uh, and luckily, obviously, he didn't, uh, you know, and he's gone on to do some wonderful things with his podcast series and how he looks at the science of social anxiety. So this is what happens when you really take stock of your signals and you really need to spend that time uh, to do that, you know, and, and go to a place where you cut out the noise. Like we're so inundated with social media and uh, people walking into our office all the time and, and meetings. And, uh, you know, we feel good when we're, you know, top to bottom, 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Oh, that's a great day. Where's the time for you? Mm -hmm. uh, you got to step away from the data, step away from the, from the chaos and sit and think. And what is it for you? Where do you and there are times we all think, about things like I, sometimes I wake up at two o'clock in the morning and I'm filled with marketing decisions. 
And, uh, you know, last couple of weeks of, was a heavy marketing uh, decision day with my team. Every second day I was waking up, two, three in the morning. Okay, what about this strategy? Here's a digital strategy. What about this branding? What about, you know, it's all these things coming up in the shower is another place where I, I think tactical or process wise. Um, and so there's, there's these, what I call intuitive mediums that we can go into. Maybe it's just taking a walk. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's being on a cycle, right? Yeah. So this is where we cut out the noise to really think about, okay, what decision I'm going to be making? And you listen for the signals. Give that time to listen. And so for me, when those dots connect or I can see the path clearly, that's great. Or the path will be clear and then all of a sudden, that doesn't feel right. And it doesn't feel right because now I can talk myself and say, yeah, okay, okay. I can kind of see the problems there. Let's let's take a back and come this way. Um, and, and so that's kind of how it is. It's, so you're it's, it's using, time. in that scenario, you're using intuition to check a decision. How can yes. you tap in? How can individuals tap into intuition to help them determine a path? So if, if you know, you talked before about the amygdala, you talked about fight or flight. If somebody, you know, in COVID times for many businesses is incredibly tough mm. and they're finding themselves in that amygdala fight or flight pace, they're fighting for survival of their business. Um, how can they, tap into their or improve that connection with their intuitive knowing about what's the right path to take to turn the situation around so intuition is a two-way street and once a two-way street there's there's the intuitive values that you have and they project outward even in a business context and so do your customers and so your employees and so those intuition those two types of intuition have to align when they align, then you have really engaged employees and you have really engaged customers. And I'll, and I'll get a little bit deeper into this. Um, as a company, why are you really running the company that you are? When you started your company, there was, there was a burning reason why you did this. And, and usually that reason is tied to values. What are your values? And in the business context, what are really your core values? And your core values are really about thinking and feeling. Um, and if you look at those values from core, those who are looking at core values today, um, they are talking about exactly that. You know, so your employees are going to come on board with your core values because they feel your your purpose when you, not just something on a board in a you do in a boardroom you put up on a wall, but you actually feel it. And when you when you actually put your core values on, on, on a piece of paper or on a wall where it comes from this feeling of this sense of purpose, others latch onto it and they understand it. Um, and when they understand it, they're going to operate. Um, you know, because they really believe in what you're trying to do. And this is where the intuition comes in the two-way street is you have to believe it and you have to act it out. You can't just say it and then not because the actions have to match the words. Remember, relational intuition is one of the four types. It's constantly watching others to make sure that the actions match the words to see if there's anything deceptive. Uh, it's like a camera. It's always right. So you can say one thing in a town hall meeting, but if you act something completely different in the boardroom or when people, when your back is turned and you don't think people are watching, oh, they're watching. Right. And so if there's something there, then you become, you go from 3D, which is I want to work here, to 2D. You are a statistic. I don't want to work here. I'm going somewhere else. And we often look to laggard indicators like productivity, revenues, uh, you know, happiness index. Those are laggard indicators. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. what's happened. What you need to fix is what can happen. And oftentimes companies don't do that. Right. So that's one thing that you do. Then if you look at, uh, you know, your employees, and so that's when you have your employees really engaged because they've got that, that you've got their purpose. They understand what you want to be there for. And if they don't, 
they self-select themselves out or you repel those others that are just looking to you like a statistic. And, and so then who you have are the core people that are really going to produce, that are really going to be creative, that are going to fight with you in the trenches, um, that are going to crush your competition because your competition, none of them are doing that. When it comes to customers, just like you've got these values that uh, are really innate to you and really mean something to you, so do your customers. Mm -hmm. So what are your products and services providing that people are going to pay you for because they provide you provide that service to me that is a value, that it solves a real problem. And that problem is big enough that I'm going to pay you for that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where your marketing and sales come in. That's where your messaging should be. What does my product do? Even an accounting firm, what do you think? Well, accounting's numbers. No. Why do I hire an accounting firm? It's because I would rather spend my time creating, thinking about strategy, not looking at whether you know uh, my my balance sheet balances balance balances or you know what is what's the depreciation schedule on that piece of equipment. That's not what I want. That's somebody else's love of doing that, so that he or she or that company can allow me to grow my business. So now we take something so dry as accounting with an actual purpose to me. And so if I'm looking to an accounting firm, I'll go, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do with my company. You're the accounting firm because now you've solved my problem from a very innate value-based perspective. And, and again, once again, you can say that in the marketing message. If you don't act like that, uh, I'm going to cut that contract short. And now we're going to get into opportunity costs. It's not just the cost because now I'm going to look for another accountant and let's yeah, say I'm a great yeah. client. So yeah. your cost is actually twice as much in bringing me back. It's not only the cost of you wooing me back with your marketing message because you've somehow fixed it. Uh, but, and you have to convince me because my intuition has already told me that, you know, I've seen inconsistency. So you have to let me believe that you really fixed it. And I have to see that um, not physically, but I have to sense it. But, you now also have to extricate me from the other accounting firm I've already spent my hard-earned money on. So now your, your cost is actually two times the cost. And now we can put a tangible number on it because you'll know what I am as a client. Um, you know, bad hiring decisions, generally two and a half times the cost. If you look at the productivity that got forsaken, the dollars per hour of the hiring manager, the team, uh, and everybody else in there, now you've got some hard, tangible dollars and cents to wasted time from an intuitive perspective. Um, and that's how you really kind of come out of this pandemic is really getting back to, uh, you know, that I think on the personal side, people are sick and tired of the ads. They're sick and tired of these nice memes with nothing behind it. They want to move their lives forward. They're looking for purpose in their own personal lives and also their professional lives. So now you've got this pandemic getting people to really understand what's their purpose. I'm hoping you have these companies that are really realigning themselves to delivering that purpose. And the majority of businesses and, and people aren't really doing that. So when the pandemic lifts, boy, oh boy, there's a nice accelerated uh, retardant, flame retardant you put on that just blows things up. Because now you're really, really engaged. You, you're being, uh, your marketing messages are so fine-tuned to people's problems. Uh, and now you've got people that are going to talk about you to everyone else. And that's the best form of marketing that you can have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's that's really important. The marketing messages are, are fine-tuned um, to talk to problems. And it's interesting how themes can come up. Um, 
that actually begs to my next question, actually, which is one, if you're going to want to invoke the intuition, the signals, do you, and let's say you have a problem or a challenge that you want to solve in your business, do you present a question to yourself, a problem statement? This is the problem I need solving. And then you give, you allocate some time, some quality thinking time to that and pay attention to those intuitive signals, whether you did that on a walk or, or, or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, some of the decisions could be just sort of mundane or routine, or you simply know from your past experience what to do. Uh, and so when you get better and better at tapping into this intuition or just knowing, and there's some experiences that you have that the intuition says you don't need time. In fact, you, don't, you actually really don't need time. Where you need the time is, is now with, the, with your, your neurons to go through the logical part, because you need to convince yourself that what you just thought of is correct. How do I present it to the team? Uh, and, and so there's all these other tactical things that you have to think about because you intuitively may know what to do, but you got to make sure that other people don't, uh, you know, look at you like a kook saying, oh, this guy is just, well, my intuition said that. Okay. You still have employees. You still have a board. You still have other people to talk to. So how do you take that sort of intangible and make it into a, a good business case sure. so that you can present? Uh, and and you, if, if it goes against the data, then what did it go against in the past where you saw it worked? Okay, well, there's your evidence, right? Your intuition's seen the evidence. You just got to formally present that uh, and say, well, it worked for in this case, in this case, in this case. And so this company became successful or, uh, you know, they increased their P&L, whatever the case is. So that's where you turn the intangible into the nice language of where it needs to fit with others. Uh, and it all depends, again, the relationship that you have. Some, some CEOs are, are known for just saying, yeah, the intuitive decisions. And the culture of that organization knows that this this CEO is really good at doing that, and so so therefore they allow he, him or her to do that because they know more often, well, every single time the outcomes have always proved themselves to to be the right ones, even though they may seem kooky at the time. Right. Sure. So you mentioned earlier on, uh, Sunil, that you have a seven day challenge that right. will enable people to to activate, to improve their intuition, to pay attention or become aware of their signals. So yes. how can people find out more about your seven-day challenge? Absolutely. Just go to intuitionology.com. Um, and so before they dive any deeper into what I have to do, they, it's, it's completely free. And it takes them to, they solve a problem of their choosing. Uh, and then they use the components of intuition to solve it in seven days. And I actually measure their intuition from the start and the end on a percentage basis. And I've had over 54,000 people through this and wow. 100% of the time, uh, their intuition has gotten stronger. And on top of that, I've got two case studies that actually go through each of the tasks from their perspective. One is uh, a fellow by the name of John Harris who's actually selling his house. And so he started the seven day challenge with this, this real estate person that just shoves her card in his face, says, you're never going to sell it. It's below $20,000. You take it or leave it. And before he used to do that, he was a pushover. He was a yes person. He would have said, panic, okay, okay, okay. I just want to get this house done. But in his seven days, he just learned what his intuitive signals are. And at the end of the seven days, there was a bidding war and he ended up selling it for $50,000 over asking price. Wow. Um, and the second person, it was someone who was witness to a homicide. So this is someone who uh, her boyfriend had murdered a common friend. She actually walked into the apartment where the friend was murdered. Her boyfriend closed the door behind her, locked it, put a knife to her back and said, you're next. Her intuition had basically said, 
calm down. Don't let the emotions watch him. Uh, and so she, he choked her, assaulted her, asked her to clean up the blood. She refused. And there was an intuitive moment that she got where she said, now she ran, unlocked the doors, 18 flights down, but, and she survived obviously, but, um, she suffered a lot from PTSD, depression, anxiety. And what she did is use a seven day challenge, not just to minimize it. It's not going to get rid of it. But what she did learn is that she, to, we found out, remember we were talking about that place you go to really relax. Well, she was in the gym before she just realized I need to go back to the gym to really just get back in touch with my intuition. And she started to learn how to trust people. Um, and so she is a huge fan of what what's, uh, that seven-day challenge is and what I'm doing because it changed her life in seven days. So if you've got these two people kind of going through it and showing you the decisions that they made in the tasks, you can solve any kind of problem with this, this seven-step process. And now you have a template of how to solve every decision, business and personal. You can just run with that and never have to look at intuitionology again, because now you have a proprietary template that you're downloading and just, it's a fillable PDF. You just take whatever problem and you just keep filling it uh, until the cows come home. That's fantastic. So that you can get hold of that by going to intuitionology, intuition, yeah. and then the word, uh, or part the word ology just on the end of it, intuitionology.com. Oh, um, Sunil, thank you. A fascinating conversation about a topic I, I love and I'm fascinated about. And you've had a huge, I, I just love the way that you've gone about it, both uh, from the feeling side of thing, but also from the, you know, the art side of thing, but also the science aspects. Mm. And you've backed it up with, you know, conversations around neuroscience and the tests that they've done on entrepreneurs. And that's uh, fantastic. It's fascinating. So thank you. thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms, enjoy more success and create more impact.